Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chapter 7 of True to the Old Flag. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. True to the Old Flag by G. A. Henty Chapter 7 In the Forest See, Peter, Harold exclaimed, there is a whole fleet of boats ahead. I seize em, Peter said, and have seed em for the last quarter of an hour. It's Schuyler with the rest of what they calls their army. Steer a little out of the course, we must pass close by em. They won't suspect nothing wrong, and will suppose we are merely carrying a message. In half an hour they were abreast of the flotilla, consisting of flatboats laden with troops. With them were two or three Indian canoes. Peter steered so as to pass at a distance of a hundred and fifty yards. They rowed less strongly now, but still vigorously. There was a shout from the boat. All well on the island? All well, Peter shouted back, waving his hand, and without further word the canoe passed on. There, do you hear that? Peter exclaimed. They're firing shots from the canoes to call their attention. The chances are they won't hear them, for the rattle of their oars and the talking and the row they're making are enough to drown the sound of a cannon. Now put it on again as hard as you can. Another hour will take us to the landing place. They could see, when the flotilla came up to the pursuing boats, that the canoes which accompanied it turned their heads and joined in the pursuit, but they were now near three miles ahead, and there was no chance whatever of their being overtaken. They slackened their speed slightly as they approached the land, and rode up to the landing place without any signs of extraordinary haste. A few men were loitering about. "'What's the news from the island?' one asked as they landed. All well there, Peter said. Did you see anything of Schuyler? Yes, we met him about halfway across. What have you come for? General Montgomery says that no spare flints have been sent over for the firelocks. I'll swear that some went, one of the men exclaimed, for I packed a sack of them myself in one of the boats. I suppose they have been mislaid, Peter said. Perhaps one of the stores have got heaped over them. If you are quite certain, we have had our journey for nothing. As certain as life, the man replied, I'll swear to the sack full of flints, and tarnation heavy they was, too. Well, then, I need not trouble about it further, Peter said. 
we'll take a rest and paddle back in an hour or two. Was there any marks on the sack, so as I may tell the general how to look for it? Marks, the man repeated. Why, it had flints written on it in big black letters six inches long. It must turn up anyhow. They'll find it when they come to shift the stores. Then, accompanied by his two companions, Peter strolled quietly through the little village. Stopping at a small store, he purchased some flour and tea. Then he followed the road inland, and was soon out of sight of the village. He stopped for a moment and then shook his head. "'It's no use trying to hide our trail here,' he said. "'The road's an inch thick in dust, and do what we will, they'll be able to see where we turn off. It's our legs as we have got to trust to for a bit. We've got a good half-hour start of the canoes. They were along three miles behind when we struck the shore.' Leaving the road, he led the way with a long, swinging stride across the cultivated land. Twenty minutes' walk took them into the forest, which extended from the shore of the lake many miles inland. "'Take off your boots, Harold,' he said as he entered the wood. "'Them heels will leave marks that a redskin could pick up at a run. Now tread as near as you can in the exact spot where the Seneca has trodden before you. He'll follow in my track,' and you may be sure that I'll choose the hardest bits of ground I can come across. There, the varmints are on shore. As he spoke, an angry yell rose from the distant village. At a long, steady pace, which taxed to the utmost Harold's powers as a walker, they kept their way through the woods, not pursuing a straight course, but turning, winding, and zigzagging every few minutes. Harold could not but feel impatient at what seemed to him such a loss of time, especially when a yell from the edge of the wood told that the Indians had traced them thus far, showed, too, that they were far nearer than before. But, as Peter afterward explained to him, all this turning and winding made it necessary for the Indians to follow every step, as they would an animal, to guess the direction they had taken. The weather had been dry and the ground was hard, Therefore, the most experienced trapper would be obliged to proceed very slowly on the trail, and would frequently be for a time at fault, whereas, had they continued in a straight line, the Indians could have followed at a run, contenting themselves with seeing the trail here and there. They came across two or three little streams running down toward the lake. These they followed, in some cases up, in others down, for a considerable distance, leaving the bed where the bushes grew thick and hid the marks of their feet as they stepped out from the water. Harold would gladly have gone at a run, but Peter never quickened his pace. He knew that the Indians could not pick up the trail at a rate faster than that at which they were going, and that great delay would be caused at each of the little streams, as it would be uncertain whether they had passed up or down. As the time passed, the Indian yells, which had, when they first entered the wood, sounded so alarmingly near, died away, and a perfect stillness reigned in the forest. It was late in the afternoon before Peter halted. "'We can rest now,' he said. "'It'll be hours before the critters can be here. Now let us have some tea.' He began to look for some dried sticks. Harold offered to assist." "'You sit down,' the scout said. "'A nice sort of fire we should get with sticks of your picking up. 
why, we should have a smoke that would bring all the injuns in the woods on to us. No, the sticks as the Seneca and me'll pick up won't give as much smoke as you can put in a teacup. But I wouldn't risk even that if we was nigh the lake, for it might be seen by any redskins out in a canoe. But we are miles back from the lake, and there ain't no other open space where they could get a view over the treetops. Harold watched the Indian and the scout collecting dry leaves and sticks, and took particular notice, for future use, of the kinds which they selected. A light was struck with a flint and steel, and soon a bright blaze sprang up, without, so far as Harold could see, the slightest smoke being given off. Then the hunter produced some food from his wallet and a tin pot. He had at the last spring they passed filled a skin which hung on his shoulder with water, and this was soon boiling over the fire. A handful of tea was thrown in and the pot removed. Some flour mixed with water was placed on a small iron plate which was put on the red-hot ashes. A few cakes were baked, and with these, the cold venison and the tea, an ample meal was made. After nearly an hour's halt, they again proceeded on their way. A consultation had taken place between Peter and the Seneca as to the best course to be pursued. They could, without much difficulty or risk, have continued the way through the woods beyond the lake, but it was important that they should reach the other side by the evening of the following day to give warning of the intended attack by the Americans. There were, they knew, other redskins in the woods besides those on their trail, and the nearer they approached the shore, the greater the danger. They had determined that they should at all hazards endeavor to obtain another canoe and cross the lake. Until nightfall they continued their course, and then, knowing that their trail could no longer be followed, they made down to the lake. They were many miles distant from it, and Harold was completely worn out when at last he saw a gleam of water through the trees. He was not yet to rest. Entering the lake, they began wading through it at a few feet from the edge. After an hour's walking thus, they entered the bushes, which thickly covered the shore, and made their way through these until they came to a spot sufficiently open for them to lie down. And Harold, wrapping himself in the blanket which he carried over his shoulder, was sound asleep in less than a minute. When he woke, the sun was shining brightly. "'Get up, youngster, we're in luck,' the scout said. "'Here's a canoe with two of the varmints making toward the shore. By the way they're going, they'll land not far off.' The scout led the way, crawling on his hands and knees, to the water's edge, to where the Seneca was sitting watching the canoe through a cover of green leaves. The course that the boat was taking would lead it to a point some three hundred yards from where they were sitting. "'We shall have no difficulty in managing them,' Harold said, and grasped his rifle eagerly. "'Not too fast,' Peter said. "'The chances are that the varmints have friends on shore.' like enough they have been out fishing. The shore formed a slight sweep at this point, and the bushes in which they were hidden occupied the point of one extremity. In the center of the little bay there was a spot clear from bushes. To this the canoe was directed. As it approached the shore, two other Indians appeared at the water's edge. One of them asked a question, and in reply a paddler held up a large bunch of fish. 